would like to invite everybody to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs today, uh, which will mark our 17th week in Proverbs. Uh, we will begin in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Despite the statistical impossibility, at least 70% of Americans believe they are above average. The vast majority of, majority of us think we are above average drivers, have above average intelligence, are above average in appearance, and so on. That's a quote from a, a guy named Taylor Laramore in a book I read a few years ago about vesting. Uh, and what that means is that 30 of you in here have a pride problem. No? I think what this statistic indicates is that there are 70% of people who are willing to admit that they have a pride problem. The other 30% just don't believe that they have a problem. Pride is a human problem. If you are in this room today, you have a pride problem. Thomas Aquinas, uh, he was a theologian in medieval times. He believed pride was the root of all sin that we commit. At the bottom of all that pride or sin is pride. Sin, in its essence, is saying to God, I know better than you, and I believe sin is better than you. Which, by definition, is pride. Pride happens when there's some area of our lives that we're not willing to have touched. Right? When something is off limits to correction or rebuke or criticism. And, and often we don't know that there's this pride until that area is criticized or corrected or threatened. And if pride really is the root of all sin, wouldn't we be careful to kill it? Right? Wouldn't we want to kill it with all that we have? The problem is, pride, is that pride is insidious. Pride resides in all of our hearts like a cancer that's undetectable. It's lurking there, waiting to take hold of us in some way. And to compound the problem further, not only is it hard to see, but because of our pride, we don't want to see it. We're so proud, we don't really want to deal with the ways that we are proud. So not only can we not see it, we don't want to see it. Solomon wants his son to see and detect pride. Scripture is the doctor that helps us to diagnose the problem of pride. And Scripture is the bomb that wants, us to, wants to induce in us the opposite posture. Humility. So let's let Scripture diagnose our hearts this morning so that we would cry out for the bomb. Look at chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. 
Disgrace is contrasted with wisdom. You want disgrace? Don't worry about pride. Well, you want wisdom? The answer to that question is our first point. Pride is the barrier to wisdom. Humility is the entrance to it. Pride is the barrier to, will, to wisdom. Humility is the entrance to it. The, the, the point here is that you will never know if you have wisdom or if you possess it unless you start right here. If you want wisdom, you have to start at the problem of pride or humility. So, if you have never reckoned seriously with pride in your life, you will never be able to find wisdom. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge comes easily to the dis- discerning. Proverbs 14.6. The NIV uh, puts it a little bit more bluntly for us. It says, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none. Where you think, well, I'm, I'm not a scoffer. I'm not a mocker. We need to listen to chapter 21, verse 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The other, in other words, the scoffer is someone who acts with pride because they've never seriously dealt with their pride. It's like when you get mad at your your phone or your computer or most likely your printer for not doing something you want it to do when all along you've been pressing the wrong button. The problem's not with the printer. The problem's with you. And if this is you, you either don't see the need to reckon with pride or you don't see your own need to reckon with pride. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. Chapter 21, verse 4. A lamp is is what you use to see in the dark. And you can't see pride, right? The proud person can't see pride because the lamp that you're using is always cast on someone else rather than on yourself. It's a problem, isn't it? If you're proud, all you're going to see with is lenses, lamp, a lamp of pride. So, so you can't find wisdom. You can't know if you have wisdom if you first haven't seriously dealt with your own pride first. Pride is the, it's a barrier to wisdom. But humility is, is the entrance to it. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. It's chapter 10, verse 17. Humility is the opening posture of wisdom because wisdom is a posture of correction. Humility is the opening posture of wisdom because wisdom is a posture of correction. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Chapter 1, verse 5. The reason that this is true is because wisdom is the recognition that the biggest problem in any equation is me. 
Fools mock in making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Chapter 14, verse 9. The reason they mock is because they assume there's nothing to amend. And so humility recognizes that the, mo- the biggest and most pressing need is not the other person to change, but me. And that stings to admit, and it stings to actually live it. It stings. The person I'm most mad at is actually not the problem. It's me. And not only that, but humility recognizes it wouldn't even know its depravity apart from God. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man, listen, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Or take chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And so humility is the recognition that if the Lord had never opened my eyes to the depth of my pride, I would never have known my pride in the first place. Have you ever thought about how to describe something to a blind person? Okay, something soft, you know, it's, t- it's really pleasing to the touch, something hard. What about, how do you describe the color red? to someone who's blind. You can't unless they can see it. Humility recognizes it would never have been able to see the color of their pride in the first place unless the Lord had opened their eyes. The cross is not precious until sin and pride are seen in their truest colors. It's hideous. This is actually really closely tied to our second point. Pride is the blindness to insight and humility is the possession of it. Pride is the blindness to insight. Humility is the possession of it. So let me illustrate what I mean. Mallory and I are on high alert for narcissists. Like, I'm I'm not talking about like... (laughs) being negative like oh you're just a narcissist i'm talking about like clinical narcissists like the clinical i'm going to a therapist and he's going to diagnose you as a narcissist uh unfortunately uh the reason this is so is because we've had narcissism show up in our lives in a way we didn't expect and so if we see a symptom that closely resembles this oh (laughs) you're a narcissist you better watch out (laughs) we'll get you and I, i was actually the reason this is important is because I was actually surprised by the symptoms of narcissism because in my mind, a narcissism like walks around and really wants to flaunt who they are, right? It's really obvious that they're full of themselves, but narcissism is actually really subtle and it comes out in really unexpected ways. And, and one trait of narcissism is a lack of responsibility. So someone who is always blaming or deflecting. So you see, narcissists assume they are free from blame And the tactic they use is to constantly blame circumstances or people. They assume they're in the right. In the same way, pride assumes it has insight. But this assumption that it has insight is actually blindness to it. It's ironic. 
There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 16.25 Pride happens when we are convinced we are right, but fail to consider how its end might be destructive, either to us or to others. This is exactly why I like to warn about like having made it or like being in the right place doctrinally, theologically, scripturally, but completely missing the point. So, so chapter 19, verse 2 in the NIV says, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Paul warns of this exact same thing in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So listen, it's possible to get Scripture right, doctrinal points right, and and culture right, and all of the above right, yet completely miss Christ in all of it. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for this in John 9, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees heard this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's assuming that you know everything you already need to know and that you've made it. And this, if you continue on this road of assumption, you will find that the God you claim to worship is the same one that you rage against. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Proverbs 19.3 Pride is, is blindness to insight. But, but humility is, is the possession of it. So we read in chapter 22, 22, verse 3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Or chapter 14, verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. I'm in a constant internal battle with my GPS. Google Maps on my phone. The pride in me wants to boast in my directional skills and know how to get somewhere without relying on a machine or a person. I know how to get there. I don't want to admit when I need to follow directions and more than once, I've missed a turn or an exit. I hate missing exits. Humility is... The possession of the insight to know when we're about to miss a turn or an exit and that if we keep going, there's a danger and a destruction along that path. And so we take Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. We beg for mercy not to be blinded by our own purity. Psalm 36.2 says, For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. 
I always like to think that David is thinking of people who drive uh, really loud vehicles here. Sorry if you got a loud vehicle. No, we want to beg God to show us what we cannot see. Show me the pride I can't see. Show me how I make myself the center or how I prop myself up. Show me the sin I cannot see. Help me to see it and to hate it. Pride assumes that it has this insight. Humility assumes it lacks it. And that itself is insight. You can tell you have insight when you know that you lack it. And you beg for more. They say to never meet your heroes. That's true because we have this uncanny ability to build our heroes up in our minds, you know, and, and especially make them larger than life. You know, we always expect them to be super kind and nice and generous, become best friends with them. But often, I think, when we meet them, it's really kind of disappointing, isn't it? We want them to be kind, but we're always disappointed how rude they can be. Most of the time. Pride makes for a miserable life. But humility makes for a celebrating one. Our last point. Pride is the rejection of self-dying. Humility is the celebration of it. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 6. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence. Or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So whereas pride assumes it has insight, humility assumes a posture. And it's a posture of forgottenness. Humility assumes a posture of obscurity. A posture of being overlooked. A posture of powerlessness. A posture of taking second place backstage, a posture of taking the servant. We've reached a, a really, I think, a, a crux in our culture, a, a tipping point, a breaking point. And, and I think that this crux is the breaking of ways be, between Christianity and Christendom. Okay? Christianity is the actual living faith of people who follow Christ. Christendom is when culture adapts Christian values for its benefits without actually following Christ. So yeah, you can benefit from claiming to be a Christian. There's platforms, there's power, there's influence, and there's money to be had. And writing about Christianity, talking about Jesus, talking about church, the Bible, whatever, there's, there's definitely benefits there. But what's the breaking point? Between Christendom and Christianity, those who die to themselves and those who would choose others to die. It's a guy named Soren Kierkegaard. He's a Dutch theologian. And he wrote this. He said, the imitation of Christ is really the point from which the human race shrinks. Why? Because it requires dying to yourself. Dying to power, dying to rights, carrying a cross and becoming a servant. 
This is why we read in Proverbs 27, 21, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but a man is tested by the praise he receives. Look, pride rejects self-dying because dying to self requires dying to praise. Requires dying to being well thought of. Dying to being in power. Dying to having influence. Dying to being comfortable. Pride rejects that. We want this faith family to grow. I want this faith family to grow. I'm not like obsessed with numbers, but I want us to grow. It's a good thing. We want to reach people for Christ. Why should Liberty's church planning days be behind us? But one way that we can test our prides is by our pride is by asking ourselves if we preach the gospel, if we evangelize the lost, if we raised up leaders and planted churches, would we still be okay with it if we were forgotten? If we never grew because we sacrificed to make the kingdom grow. And that's not just a question for the body corporately. That's for each of us individually. Humility is the celebration of saying, not my will, but your will. Not my little kingdom, but but your kingdom. Not my rights, but your glory. And so may we die, die again to our hearts competing for power and placement and glory. One's pride brings him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. 29-23 Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. 18-12 The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. 22-4 We reject pride because Christ rejected Himself. For eternity, the Son of God, who had no beginning and no end, enjoyed perfect love, joy, and harmony in the riches of heaven unhindered together with the Eternal Father and the Eternal Spirit. The Son of God, acting according to the will of the Father, stepped out of perfect heaven to become A man, a man who had a beginning, a man who had to be a baby, a man who got dirty and sweaty, a man who walked and got tired, a man who wrestled with temptation, a man who poured himself out for sick, needy, demon-possessed, ungrateful people. the one who deserves all service for eternity, became a servant to the people who rejected Him. The Son of God became a man who suffered the rejection of the Father as all the wrath of God toward sin was poured out on Him. Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, suffered the wrath of sin though He had committed no sin. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is our 
Savior. And He invites us, yes, us, to a seat at His table. He says, come, you sinners. Lay down your pride. Cast your your dirty, sickly pride on the cross. Cast your rebellion and your arrogance and your haughtiness on me, for I suffer for you. Lord's Supper that we are going to celebrate is not merely symbolic. We're not merely remembering, but it is deeply spiritual. It is the means of our Lord Jesus Christ given to us as an opportunity to cry at His feet in repentance and faith all over again. It is His grace to us to renounce our sin and to celebrate His mercy. And before you ever partake of this table, of the Lord's Supper, your first step is to repent of your sin and your pride and trust in the name of Jesus. If you've never done that, now is the time to do it. The second step is is to examine yourself. Do not eat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. With nonchalantness, uncaringness or pride. With open sin, rebellion. Examine yourself. But for all who are sin sick and weary, who need a Savior and Lord who forgives earnestly and eagerly, you will find one at this table who sings over you with joy.